mysterious stranger. What's your name? Satan. Uh-oh. What's the matter? Nothing. Only it's sure a sorry name for an angel. Please, come in. Come on! Junk Food Dinner, episode number 655. This week... It's the second week of Sci-Fi February, our month-long tribute to science fiction films and this week the Dom DeLuise Patreon donors get their picks with The Brood from 1979 picked by Portland Paul The Adventures of Mark Twain from 1985 picked by Eamon And finally, Slipstream from 1989 picked by John from Dayton Look, Byron, I'm not going to have a problem with you, am I? Welcome to Junk Food Dinner, episode 655. This is the podcast where each week we scour the internet, video stores, and cable television, searching for the most outrageous and interesting cult films. In Ohio, I am Kevin Moss, and I'm joined by my California co-host Parker Bowman in the 559 and Sean Byron in L.A. This week, it's the second week of Sci-Fi February, our month-long tribute to science fiction films. And this week, we let the Dom DeLuise Patreon donors get their picks in. And we have The Brood from 1979, picked by Portland Paul, The Adventures of Mark Twain from 1985, picked by Eamon, and Slipstream from 1989, picked by John from Dayton. But first, gentlemen, welcome to the Slipstream. Are you floating your way <laughs> through the week? I, yeah. yeah, I suppose so. We all float up here. Yeah, yeah. as Pennywise might say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, I just, I just thought of something, Kevin. Are you going to teach us how to do that? The intro before you leave. <laughs> That's a good. I point. mean, we don't know how. If you haven't picked up on it after 655 episodes, I don't know <laughs> what I could possibly teach you. Don't worry, guys. I actually I have a recording of it, so I, I can just play Kevin's intro every time. You know, I was thinking about it. I think I've recorded enough audio where you could probably just create an AI version of me uh, and just put that in the week so I'm not here. <laughs> I, th- I think that would be all too simple, and, and maybe we should, yeah. There's got to be a way. Someone yeah. could set that up. You know, just take take all my voice recordings from the 655 episodes, create an AI bot, and then uh, just program it to respond negatively to various things and positively to other things, and boom. That's all um, I'm doing here. No. Exactly. You've already we'll basically the- got it. Pretty much, yeah. We'll move the sliders around. We'll make it so that AI Kevin really enjoys Neil Breen and, and South Park. We'll just move well, the, that slider up a little bit. You'll it. be hearing from my lawyers then. <laughs> You're going to give us a cease and desist? <laughs> I mean, my lawyer is also an AI-generated robot, but <laughs> he does good work. Yeah, yeah. I've I've actually met your lawyer. We had to talk to him that time that uh, that guy threatened us with uh, what did that, what did the L.A. Age Jabber guy threaten oh, us with? 
other options other explore other options other options and i think we theorized at the time meant he was going to give us aids which thankfully that that has not come to pass (laughs) yeah thanks to kevin's uh robot lawyer yeah you also met my robot lawyer when we had to fucking renegotiate the goddamn uh randomizer 5000s contract that son of a bitch was holding out for more money (laughs) that's true he's a very important part of the show he's in high demand you know a lot of podcasts would love to have a randomizer not many do. Mm-hmm. Well, he's locked in. We got that son of a bitch for 10 years. Yeah. He kept threatening that he would go to kissing contest. We just, we, we couldn't handle that. We signed that contract though. And I was reading the other day that he might have a torn ACL. Like, is he really a good long-term <laughs> prospect? I don't know, man. Hmm? Well, and then he tweeted all that stuff about that anti-Semitic documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know who that is, but I, I'm just assuming that's like everybody, everybody who's on Twitter. Specifically Kyrie Irving, but it's uh, it's also everybody on Twitter, basically, yeah. Yeah. What a mess this world's become. Well, speaking of messes, before the show starts, I do want to apologize um, for the potential, and, and it, I don't think it's happened yet, uh, but throughout the show, you guys might hear some unusual noises in the background, and I just want to... Put it out there. It is horny cat season, and I got a whole grip of horny cats outside. So uh, (laughs) if that noise should bleed through my walls, as it has been all day and all night for this past few days, uh, I do apologize. All right. Well, I look forward to the updates on horny cat season. It's my favorite season of the TV (laughs) programming season. Yeah. yeah, You got to let me know who's, who's getting hooking up with who. There's a real will-they-won't-they situation between a couple of them, I hear. Oh, yeah. Well, Frisky's been hitting the catnip real hard, so I I feel like he might not not even last this entire season. But, yeah, we'll see. Now, do you name these feral cats that hang out outside your house and bang in front of your children? (laughs) Yeah, we we (laughs) certainly do. Uh, We name all of them, you know, even the ones that we see only, like, very rarely. But there's probably a cast of about a dozen or so. And they're all named after cast members of the actual production of cats absolutely yeah of course yeah we've got rum t- okay i've never seen cats so i'm just posing but no yeah they've all got names you know garfield was the big one he had his son named junior um there's uh, there was oscar who's gone um oscar's brother sunday is still around uh there's one that shows up once in a while to harass the female named stripey and, and that guy's name is spooky blooster he's a real son of a bitch he's got like a weird shaped face you wouldn't even believe this guy's face spooky blooster but yeah there, there's all a lot of cats i like spooky blooster just by name alone yeah yeah it's it's kind of a i, th- I think he's taken to it i mean at first i think he was maybe resistant he's like who you calling spooky but but he knows mm-hmm. well very nice any uh besides watching cats bang you watch anything entertaining on the television not so much on the TV, but I, I did watch some cats meet up at a bar with me, uh, which was uh, Shelby and Corey. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, last night, I uh, just ran into them uh, locally here at a bar. Well, didn't run into them. We, we did plan a meetup. It would have been weird if I just randomly ran into Shelby, who now lives in the, the D.C. area. So it was cool to, yeah. to have them all the way out here in California, kind of a rarity. Uh, but yeah, it, it was sick. And, uh, Shelby brought, brought along his friend Kona, um, who I had met once before, but I, I sadly don't have a drop for because I do have drops for Shelby. 
And also my guy Chalky. But I got to figure out a Kona drop. Otherwise, I, you know, I can't properly tell the story with three drops. <laughs> right on. Well, cool. Well, yeah. How are those guys doing? Pretty good, it seemed like. Um, you know, um, we kind of just cut commiserated over the fact that we're all getting old, you know, talked about uh, the challenges of aging, I guess, a, a little bit. And just, <laughs> it, was, it was funny because we spent probably two and a half hours at this bar in Hollywood. I think I'm the only one that that consumed anything that cost money. I, th- I think on the table there was one glass of water and my one glass of Coca-Cola. So this bar sadly didn't make any money off of us, but, um, you know, I think I'll treasure the conversations I had forever. Yeah, man. Well, that's, I mean, that's how it goes. Yeah. You get together with your friends. Once you hit 40, all you talk about is, uh, how your body's breaking down and how, uh, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's hard being an adult. Yeah. Pretty much complaining about how things are changing, you know, price of rent, how you don't know anybody at the Grammys anymore. Right. Mm hmm. I, I revealed to them that I watched Triangle of Sadness the previous night. Yeah. The motherfuckers had, had no idea what I was talking about. So had you guys seen Triangle of Sadness? Am I, am I alone in the world having seen this movie? You are. I saw the Criterion recently put it out. Oh, I didn't know that. I paid seven bucks on Amazon for it, and it was fucking awful. I hated it. So just a, a word of warning. Well, it's this guy, Ruben Ostlund. Do you know this dude? He did uh, The Square and Force Majeure. He's a a Swedish director. Does these really artsy-fartsy kind of movies. I liked The Square. I saw it theatrically. I thought it was kind of funny. I don't know. It was weird, but it was funny. Uh, This one is just like two and a half hours plus of like torture porn, where like the whole point is just like, hey, rich people are gross. Let's... Let's show how gross and rich these people are for two hours plus, two and a half hours plus. It sucked. That's like 65% of all movies these days. It's just like thinly veiled metaphors about how rich people are bad. Which, I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm fine if you take that concept and you go somewhere with it. But it, it you know, it throws that at, at you in the first scene. And then it just kind of does the same exact thing for the entire movie. Yeah. Right on. That's how they go. That's how those movies go. Well, I mean, once you introduce that premise, like, where else do you go with it? It's like it's so so self evident that you can't really do anything with with it as a story. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you could have things kind of I don't know. You could introduce some interesting characters in the mix instead of having everyone just be like a complete lunatic rich person asshole. I don't know. It's it's a weird. But some people love it. I mean, it's nominated for best picture, so I guess I'm glad that they're making movies that are really weird it it is a weird movie but it was just also not for me all right well thank you for the uh, warning i will Mm -hmm. avoid it have you guys been uh catching up on that paul t goldman well if you were well sorry go go ahead ahead. no you go i was was gonna say if you're following me closely on serialized you would know for a fact that i've watched the first two episodes oh excellent i i should follow you more closely on serialized i am what the hell is serialized it's like Letterboxd, but for TV, oh, which God. I think is actually even more useful than Letterboxd because, like, I have a real problem of, like, watching a season and a half of a TV show and then taking a break and then coming back and being like, I don't know where to come back at. But this, you know, lets me know, oh, you left off at episode six or whatever. Yeah, I'll t- that is let helpful. Me, let me tell you what a grandpa I am. I'm not using Serialized. I just recently bought at the used bookstore 
the sci-fi channel back when they had the old sci-fi channel saturn logo guide to science fiction television that's how i keep track of what i watch <laughs> wow and and you just have a highlighter that you you're marking <laughs> off entries or what just highlighting episodes of my favorite martian that i've seen and <laughs> complaining to my grandkids that they don't know the value of a dollar Mm-hmm. You should have been at that bar with me and Shelby and Corey last night then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like the show so far. I do. You mentioned that he's very Neil Breen-esque. I agree. Nice. Yeah. We, we, uh, Anna and I watched the first episode and we're intrigued. We're going to watch more, but just need to carve out that time. But yeah, it was interesting. Nice. I, I, I don't want to oversell it because I, I don't, I don't think it's the greatest show of all time or anything, but, but I think it's interesting and, and it's kind of unlike most stuff. I mean, I, I guess other than like, Nathan Fielder stuff. It's kind of like that. Yeah, it's definitely somebody going, hey, how can I make a Nathan Fielder show real quick and, and get some money off of Nathan Fielder? But other, I mean, but that's fine. I I would prefer there to be a lot of Nathan Fielder copycats out there. It's a good, it's a good genre. Yeah, and, and competition, you know, increases, you know, uh, the quality of, of the end result. Usually, I would think if there's only one yeah. guy making these, they're probably not going to be that great. Let's Let's get somebody out there to challenge Fielder and his his weird, you know, real life, uh, comedy show supremacy. Yeah. Well, this has some famous producers, right? I think what Seth Rogen's a producer on it. And yeah, Seth Rogen's a producer. And then, I mean, Jason Wolner is, I wouldn't say famous or anything, but he's got a a good little career that he's carved out for himself between human giant and Borat two and, and all that stuff. Right. Well, cool. What about you, Parker? Anything fun this week? Um, well, I've been stepping up, as I mentioned, I've been stepping up my serialized game, and uh, I've been watching that show, The Last of Us, the new zombie show on HBO. You guys hear about this? I have heard about it. it seems like that's all people have been talking about. It's all they're talking about. People are going nuts for this show, as if uh, it wasn't already The Walking Dead, exactly. Like, it's right. exactly The Walking Dead. But well, pe- People, I mean, The Walking Dead's off the air, right? They had their last episode? Yeah, that's true. Fill in the void. People still love the so. zombies. I suppose so. But yeah, it's. Uh, I played the video game and I thought it was like pretty boring, and I gave up like halfway through. And the video game is a pretty good adaptation of that. So I don't know. It's like very. <laughs> it's very okay. This this show. I don't know why everybody's going crazy for it. It's fine. Uh, but I don't know. There's zombies how, in it. I guess. How do the zombies look? Pretty good looking zombies. They're like different zombies in that like they're fungus based kind of like Matango, like they're people who get infected with with mushrooms and then they kind of start growing mushroom bodies a little bit. So Hmm. they look uh, very unique. So I guess that's the way it has innovated zombie fiction is that these are mushroom people and they look good. They look scary. I like them. Any word of Stephen King's character from that one segment in Creepshow might make an appearance? I hope so. That would be nice, right? Yeah, Jordy Verrill's his name. Oh, yeah, Jordy Verrill. Um I haven't seen this. I probably will check it out eventually. Um, to be honest, I, I've still only seen the first episode of Walking Dead, and I was like, okay, I'm, this is fine. I, I don't really need to spend years of my life watching this thing. And I, I wonder if maybe I, if I was going to pick between the two, what would I pick? Probably The Walking Dead, I guess, because it's, it's the OG of these zombie TV shows. Yeah, the yeah. first season of Walking Dead's good when Frank Darabont was there, and then he left in it. It's all kind of downhill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Parker, if I can take your Matango analogy here and Sean's 
chalky news and combine them together. Uh, if you guys are into other podcasts, I will be appearing on um, old movies for young stoners, Chalky's podcast, talking about Matongo, Attack of the Mushroom People, oh. and War of the Gargantuas next week. So if you are listening to this, it's probably already out, if not coming soon. So yeah, check out old movies for young stoners. We'll be talking about some old kaiju action. It was that, that quick. Nice. It was that quick, Kevin Moss. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that when are you going around. on Wayne? Yeah. When, when are you going on Wayne's podcast? What's the date? That's next week. That's the week after that. I'm going <laughs> Wayne's podcast. I'm going on Virtual Pros. I'm making the rounds. I'm just yeah. seeing, you know, maybe someone would be a little nice to me, a little bit nicer <laughs> than some other people. Stop, stop by Joe Rogan, maybe. He's not going to make you watch a David Lynch movie. No. <laughs> I would never do that to me. But no, it should be fun. Um, so check that out. Unlike this this podcast, they'll actually let me smoke weed on that show. <laughs> You're allowed to smoke weed on this show. What? Yeah, just, just don't Since blow when? it in my face anymore, Kevin. Oh, okay. Yeah. You said to blow yeah. it in your ear like a cat. That's how you got high. Well, let's, <laughs> let's reserve that for off air. <laughs> That's how you get those feral cats high, at least. You get know what? I, mood. Maybe I should try that. Maybe that would make them so stoned that they wouldn't fuck. And, and that would be nice. Yeah. Anything right else up. going on in, in Kevin Moss world? No, that's it. Just uh, going on other podcast, you know. Spreading your wings. Play, play in the field. Spread my seed sure. across the land. Uh, but Realizing yeah. your, your true destiny, finally, as a podcast guest, not host. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I could just, yeah, I like to be a guest in your home. Just let me spend the night. That's all I want. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you want to check in with the folks out there in Junk Food Dinnerland, see what kind of junk mail we have this week in the old voicemail bucket? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got lots of them. Oh, boy. Here it comes. They're all angry. They're all Every Wayne. Nine, nine voicemails from Wayne just asking you when you're coming on his show. Here's the first one from Wayne. Hey, Junk Food Dinner Dudes. Uh, this is formerly John from OK, now uh, John from IA. Oh. That's uh, Iowa, not Whoa. Internal Affairs. I'm not a narc. Thank um, God. I uh, I just listened to the most recent episode and was uh, was crushed by uh, Kevin's news about cutting back to once a month, but that's, um, you know, it's understandable. Man's got to do what a man's got to do. Um, I do have a, uh, maybe another alternative option, uh, would be to keep it going weekly with the three of you. If Sean were to maybe beef up his soundboard with just more clips oh. for Kevin, and then you guys could just carry on every week and it would be like, you know, Kevin's there. Oh. Um, but, um, yeah, anyway, and all, all seriousness, um, you guys mentioned doing away with the, the Patreon. I was curious. If you guys thought about what you would do with your vast, you know, back catalog so they're not, you know, being bootlegged online for hundreds of dollars if you're going to still have that uh, accessible to people. So, uh, anyways, um, been listening, you know, since the Fredo days. So, long time listener, uh, maybe like the third time caller. So, but uh, love you guys. Take it easy. Uh, thank you for calling in. Yeah. Thank you for the kind words. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, we yeah we want to have the the backlog of of bonus episodes available for the folks who 
who want to hear them. So I'm sure we can keep those around in some form up on Patreon. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's to be determined exactly how we do it, but yeah, we'll, we'll make sure that they don't disappear into the ether for sure. They'll also yeah. be available on a limited edition box set of uh, 180 gram <laughs> vinyl. Yeah, <laughs> 38 discs, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably way more. It does cost two hundred dollars to ship your way, but it's it's <laughs> worth it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I like that you had the same idea about the. Uh, just using a virtual version of myself through the soundboard. I said, let's do it. I feel like jerking off the way my grandpa did. See, it's <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm here already. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll try to, we'll, we'll figure it out amongst ourselves and figure out the Patreon stuff. Cause I know people are, people have messaged us and stuff and are kind of hanging out there. So we'll, we'll figure it out soon. So you guys aren't in limbo for sure. All right. Next caller. Here's another one from Wayne. Hey, junk food dinner. It's Matt from Arizona calling in once again. Um, I never got a theme song, and I don't think I ever will now, so I want to sing one of myself really quick. <laughs> it goes like, Matt from Arizona, he calls in quite a lot. Matt from Arizona, he's also kind of a twat. That's it. So, um, been listening to you guys pretty much the entire time, 13 years straight. So I just want to say thank you, Kevin. Don't feel bad about going to junk food dinner at Valhalla. You will join your forebears before you, i.e. Mark. And, you know, you'll feast in the great hall. And uh, look forward to whatever incarnation the show still has in the future. And also, you know, when you rejoin on a monthly basis, you got to have some kind of ceremony, like a seance. Like, um you know, Parker and Sean have got to, like, call you forth using the power of the void. Uh, otherwise, you know, my only other idea about passing the reins is you got to find uh, a 17-year-old to join you to, to take your place on the show now. This is how it has to be. You have to give the reins to a younger generation so that junk food dinner can be eternal and they can rediscover the joys of the old movies. This is the burden I give to the... Anyways, enjoy the fucking rest, and peace out, bitches. <laughs> Thank you for the call. And yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not going anywhere. Well, I'm going to be around. And uh, 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 once a month is plenty. Just ask my girlfriend. Once a month of me, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I do but think, yeah. though, the caller has a good point, and, and it's going to be probably years away, but... Whenever the three of us are all collectively like, you know what, we don't even want to talk to each other anymore. We're sick of podcasting. I do think that this should be passed on to another generation. You know, this is a it's a part of the uh, the Internet's cultural heritage at this point. I feel like (laughs) one of the world's oldest podcasts. I mean, if we can find some 17 year olds that are willing to do it and have the chops then perhaps, but I don't know any 17-year-olds, do you? I mean, I'm not some creep hanging out with 17-year-olds. No, and and the chops do concern me because we don't want to bring in one of these fools and have them mix up a full moon movie for an Empire picture or something like this, you know? That's a rookie move, yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely a rookie mistake. But, but yeah, I was just actually saying that in the Discord, that junk food dinner is going to be like Guar. In 30 years, it's just going to be different guys in the suits doing the show. Yeah, we'll see. We gotta start, you got to start having kids or something. I don't know. So we can raise them. Raise them right. 
Yeah. Maybe we can find just like, get... a brood lady, you know? <laughs> Start having some weird little monster kids. Yeah. That would work. Uh, speaking of monster kids, here is another voicemail from Wayne. JFD, it's Mickey from Michigan. I have a regret to share. I must confess, when you announced that after 13 years the show is going to monthly format with, with Parker and Lord Brian doing shows some kind of intermediate way, I learned something about myself and I'm not proud. I am a selfish prick. My initial response was, how dare these guys who have provided a fantastic free product to its fans for 13 years want their own lives? What about me? What about my needs? You're fucking up my Fridays. After the initial shock and self-prickish revelation, my engineering sensibilities calmed my weary soul. I have notes, so pardon me. On the average, most cult, movie, cult movies are 90 minutes, but I average each to 120 minutes because Sean at times has lengthy foreign picks. So 120 minutes per movie times three movies per week times 51 weeks on the average due to Christmas break and factoring the annual audio uh, commentary times 13 years comes to 238,680 minutes of just movie watching. And there's 525,600 minutes per year. We'll ignore the leap years. You offered up just under six months of your lives just watching JFD movies. That is six months nonstop of movies, day and night, not just day, each day, day and night, back to back to back. That is only time spent watching these fucking movies, let alone once you opened up the Dom DeLuise picks and we made you watch our fucking movies. Don't act like you didn't secretly love Hunk or My Demon Lover just as much as Wraith and Rad. You're very welcome, by the way. That is not including all the recording time, editing, planning, scheduling, web time, the Patreon shows, etc. That is fucking bananas. I don't know any other podcast that did three movies a week in that format, and that's a huge, a huge, huge commitment. So in short, thank you, Fredo. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Parker. Thank you, Kevin. Just do your best to not quietly go into that good night. Live like you're prepping for a run at Hell Track in Rad. Just pretend you're in the lumberyard. Go balls out. Don't quit, guys. Your fans love you. Smooches. Oh, thank you. That was a very thought out call and very, I, I love the, the mathematics behind it. It's true. I mean, yeah, when you boil it down, we've, uh, we've spent a lot of time doing this thing. And that's precisely why I don't want it to, to quit. I don't want to go away because I want to continue this on. I love the fan base. I love the community. I love the people calling in. And, you know, I love doing it. But, you know, like you said, it's just at a certain point, you know, you need to reclaim a little bit of, of your livelihood back. Uh, well, you still got it. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I love the time that I spent doing this and I'm going to continue doing it. And I want to keep uh, all you guys on as listeners and hopefully you'll you'll stay along for the ride. Um, because, yeah, like, you know, this is 13 years in the making. I mean, and, you know, Parker and Fredo and I, when we started this, like we were fucking nobodies, you know, like we didn't have we weren't successful radio personalities or stand-up comedians or you know anything that anybody knew we literally just had friends listening so the fact that we've built this community over years met all these cool people talked to you know get voicemails from you guys talk to you on the discord and stuff i definitely want to keep that alive and i want to keep the show alive so you know don't don't think of this as the end just a just a change you know so we're going to continue to grow strong for you know we've proven we have the stamina we just uh need to take a breather from time to time but yes thank you I agree with the things you just said. Yeah, and and if there's less junk food dinner to listen to in the future months, you know, maybe that's more time that you guys can use to catch up to us in terms of watching all these fucking movies we reviewed o- over these years. Because I'm sure <laughs> yeah. that you didn't watch all of them. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Or go listen to those uh, bonus episodes. There's like a hundred fully stocked, very chubby bonus episodes to listen to. So or if get- you're lamenting the fact that there's less junk for dinner, we got you covered. There's a bunch you haven't listened to out there. Yeah. Or get working on that AI voice robot of myself <laughs> and uh, program it to talk shit about Corey Feldman. I don't want it. <laughs> no, please no. <laughs> All right. We got any more voicemails? Oh, yeah. We got lots more. Here's one. Uh, it's actually from Wayne. Live from New York, it's Mr. Brian. Uh, I just want to say hello. Um, called in today to wish Kevin Moss good luck in his next uh, venture. Sorry to hear you are leaving the show. Um, I'm not leaving the show. What you said in your announcement. Are you leaving the show? <laughs> no. Or are you going to stick around and do the monthly episode format now? Or yes. are you going to pop in from time to time? Maybe. Um, Maybe you can answer that for me. Uh, please return for Summer of Spock. I hope JFD will do another <laughs> Summer of Spock episode. And uh, Sean Byron, you're not getting out of Summer of Spock this year, my friend. JFD is uh, one man short, so you must do Summer of Spock, Sean Byron. But that's it. Hope everybody's well. Uh, thanks for taking my call, and uh, love the show as always, and peace. Oh, thank you, Brian, for calling in. Yeah, no, don't worry. Like we've said, not leaving. Just uh, doing it a little less. And Sean, I don't know. What do you think, Summer Spock? You think you'll? Could you maybe just for a bonus watch one Star Trek movie? I mean, I, I would be willing to watch Trekkies, the documentary. Okay, that's a start. That's a, a the toe in mm-hmm. the pool. Yeah, if we want to do a, a, like a Trekkies spring or something. Maybe I, I might be involved in that, but um, that I feel like in terms of the movies now, you guys have established a, a cadence and a tempo and a, and a flow of, of how those episodes go without me. I, I don't want to disrupt that. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't need to come in and, and mess that all up for you. How about an episode of the original series? Maybe that Tribbles episode? Maybe the one mm-hmm. with the space hippies? The Gorn? That's a nice one. Yeah. The origin of the Gorn? Maybe. I've seen some of that stuff. I think I've seen all three of those episodes you're talking about. Would you ever watch the Orville, which is like Star Trek, except way better? Well, that's the one with the the family guy dude, right? Yeah, Seth MacFarlane. Trust me. I don't know about this. That's what I said at first, too. But it's transcendent. How many jazz (laughs) standards does he sing during the show? Zero. No crooning. No crooning. Okay. All right. Well, then that's an improvement for him. Yeah. It's a masterpiece. I finished the series up this week. A masterpiece. That's what we'll do for Spock Summer. A show with no Spocks, the Orville. It's a masterpiece. It's wonderful. It's settled. 
Also, we've only got like a couple of next generation movies left and then those stupid reboots. So Spock Summer, if we don't do the TV shows, it's got to be over. We can't continue with those movies. They get pretty bad after where we've been. You guys don't don't want to do those new ones, the J.J. Abrams ones? Uh, I like that first J.J. Abrams, but the other two are real, real bad. Oh, is there a third? I don't think I knew that there was a third. Yeah, there's the second one with Benedict Cumberbatch, and then the third one I think J.J. Abrams didn't do and Simon Pegg wrote, which sounds good, but it's awful. Hmm. All right, well, lots of options for Spock Summer, and I hope you guys figure it out. You got to figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right, hit me with the next one. All right, this next guy's got it figured out. This is a call from Wayne. (laughs) I'm going to keep doing that my joke for me hi guys uh, this is nick and um i just listened to the february 3rd episode and was uh, shocked and deeply saddened to hear that uh, kevin is stepping away from the microphone uh, and going to a monthly format uh but while uh, this saddens me i completely support Kevin and his decision, and I wish him all the luck in the world with uh, whatever ventures he decides to embark upon. Um, I was uh, also wondering how is this going to affect the much-anticipated gathering of the junkies uh, that has been talked about over the previous months, is, uh, that puts that on hold. Uh, I was uh, looking forward to uh, meeting my fellow junkies and um, just wondered uh, what was going on with that. Anyway, uh, I uh, was a late starter with the show, so I have all those years on your website uh, to listen back on. I haven't listened to Many of those old episodes, I only started listening maybe a couple of years ago. <clears throat> so, yeah, 13 years, enough. Job well done. Godspeed, sir. Take care. Oh, thank you, Nick, for calling in. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, yeah, no, I think, if anything, this uh, only elevates the need for a JFD meetup because, uh, you know, we won't be hanging out every week. I got to, you know, you know how it is. Like if, if, like, let's say you hang out, you know, you were roommates with your buddy or something. And then, you know, you guys move to a different apartment, you know, it only makes the time to hang out all the more fun. Uh, so I, I said this meetup's got to happen now. So let's start, uh, let's start getting serious about this. Let's hear some ideas, folks. Uh, I, I like what we've heard so far. I like, I like this, uh, I don't know. I like this Arizona idea. I like uh, Vegas. I like Chicago. I like Ohio. I live in Ohio. That would be easy for me. Uh, but yeah, tell us realistically if you want to come to this thing, and only if you plan to come to this thing. Just if you're not one hundred percent sure on it, don't let us know. But if you if you really want to come for a JFT meetup, put some polls up on the on the site and figure out where we're going to do this. Because I say let's do this. Let's shoot for uh, maybe a Halloween time fiesta mm-hmm, mm-hmm. give us enough time to put the, yeah that's definitely the time to do it let's shoot for rocktober we'll make it happen 
Kevin Moss, do you see the reaction, the shockwaves that you've sent across the JFD universe by choosing to quit the show and end it forever? What a jerk you <laughs> see, are. See, now this is how rumors start. No, I listen, I, 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 I very much do appreciate the, uh, the outreach. Some folks have reached out to me, you know, through uh, Facebook and on uh, the Discord, and, and, and these messages are all very nice. But I, I think... You know, I think the overwhelming amount of people understand where I'm coming from here. And, but yeah, I listen, like I said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be around every month. I'm going to be here doing the same old thing. You'll you'll never get rid of me. And in the, you know, uh, intervening weeks, a a perfectly reasonable artificial intelligence copy of Kevin should (laughs) suffice, right? Yeah. And I have all the faith in the world that Parker and Sean will will uh you know provide a quality product on the weeks that i'm not here so you got nothing Thanks, to worry Kevin. about you're in good hands <laughs> yeah i do enjoy this love that you're getting through the voicemails I, I think that if i would have announced that i was quitting there would just be one voicemail calling me a cuck and that's it so this <laughs> is nice to hear it is a bit like you know being at your own funeral though or something something weird about it again i'm not going anywhere guys i'm not dying He's dying and he's quitting the show forever. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, let's hear one of these voicemails. Uh, This one's actually from Wayne. Hey, junk food dinner. It's Peter from Portland. Uh, Just calling to uh, call in and and, sort of share my reaction after the, the news that dropped last episode. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to say, Kevin, I love you completely. Thank you so much for doing this show for the past 13 years. Uh, you know, I've, I've lived in three different states in the time that I've been listening to Junk Food Dinner. And every time you guys have been a constant source of enjoyment and stability for me, uh, you know, I'm I'm not embarrassed to say that I, I got kind of choked up when I heard that uh, you're going to be reducing your involvement. You're definitely going to be missed. But I also really want to make clear, I, I hear that this is not the end, uh, that you guys are going to keep pumping out, like, great content. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm I'm super happy to... See whatever, whatever version of a junk food dinner continues into the future. And, you know, as a side note, I, uh, I think this really adds some urgency to, uh, getting a JFD meetup off the ground, maybe this That's summer or this fall. Uh, I think something like that would be really cool. But yeah, uh, you know, Kevin, you rock. Sean, Parker, you guys rock too. Uh, thanks so much for everything you do. And, uh, let's hope that 2023 continues to, uh, be a really positive year for everyone. I love you guys. Take care and, uh, look forward to what's next. Bye. Ah, oh, thank you, Peter, for the kind words. Yeah, I agree. We'll get this meetup going. And, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate you sticking with us. Um, you know, like I said, It'll be a little bit different, but once we uh, work out the kinks and uh, 
settle into our new routine and you guys settle into the new routine, you know, I think it'll be it'll be like nothing ever changed. Just have to wait a little longer to hear my sweet, sweet voice. But uh, I think it'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. And everybody is allowed. Kevin has invited everybody to just go to his house whenever they want on the weeks that he's the, th- oh, the yeah. three weeks. Yeah, when he's not doing the show. So you guys are yeah. allowed to just go over there, watch movies with him, hang out, eat his food, mm-hmm. uh, shove Kevin if you want. No Ask show, what man. kind of pornos he's been watching in there. <laughs> no, it'd be like, you know, that like if you were to meet Jesus and to shove Jesus, it would be like that. Oh, come on. No, if you, if you are a JFT <laughs> listener and you find yourself in Cincinnati, send me a message on the Discord and I will buy you a cheese cone. That, those are the rules and I will abide by them. <laughs> and you can also sleep at his house. That might not be a go. And when you eat the cheese coney, you can use any one of the records in his collection as a plate. Now, Parker, you're going too far. This wasn't in the contract. Do I have to get my fucking AI lawyer out here? <laughs> you know, Parker, I thought you knew better than get involved. <laughs> my mistake, my mistake. All right. Okay. Any more any more junk mails? Yeah, we got another one right here from Wayne. Holy smokes. Hello, fellas. Um, I just, this is Will from Richmond, firstly. Um, I just saw uh, Infinity Pool, and it's a hard recommend. Um, I'm really excited about it. And, uh, yeah, I just want the world to know that I saw Infinity Pool, and it was wonderful. Um, And secondly, more importantly, uh, Kevin, it's been, uh, you really... You and the rest of the crew have really gotten me through uh, a boring, awful day job for the past eight years, and it's I totally understand um, your decision to move on for a little step back for a little bit, but uh, I'd be lying if I said that you're not going to be severely missed. Um, I mean, I barely watch three movies in a month, so totally get it. Uh, but rather than being mushy, um, I'd like to also just say uh, I'm not a big fan of the South Park guys either, so we've got that in common. Um, <laughs> that and the uh, Grandpa monster movie sci-fi stuff. Um, but I just had dinner with my family and had to explain the character Timmy to my 13-year-old son. And uh, I thought I'd share that with you. Um, those guys are assholes and should not be trusted. Uh, I thought I just, I wanted, I wanted you to get a chuckle out of that. Um, my, my kid was severely disappointed in our generation. Anyway, um, I will be looking forward to hearing you once a month. Take care. Uh, yeah. Oh, thank you, Will, for calling in. And, uh, yeah, I actually, I wanted to see infinity pool. In fact, I had plans to see it this weekend, but never made it out to the theater. But, uh, this week, I think going to head out and see that, that infinity pool, because I have heard good things, uh, heard multiple people recommend it. And I do want to see it on the big screen. You guys have any affinity for this infinity? I'm interested. I, I, you know, I've also heard good things, uh, but I've yet to see any of Brandon Cronenberg's movies. So, I feel like I should probably start with Possessor, which I think is streaming for free on Hulu. Yeah. Um, I've been meaning to get around to that. 
Yeah, uh, I might check it out. I don't know. I got to see this new M Night Shyamalan movie, and then no, uh, you Justin, don't. you don't, you don't got to see that. I like that guy. Well, you yeah, like Batista. I love Batista. And I like he's got he makes spooky movies. You know, I like him. He's back at it. He's good again. You know, yeah. he sucked for a while. He's he's fine again. He's good. He made okay. Glass. That's a good one. Unbreakable or not unbreakable? Uh, the other one, Split. Those are good. And then uh, Justin also hipped me to this Indian movie that I forget the name of that I got to see. So. I got priorities. I got priorities before this, but but I'll see it at some point, probably. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know if I end up seeing it next week. I'll give you the the breakdown. And yeah, okay. um, and yeah, Will. If you ever just get bored at work, you just want to give me a call. We can talk about monsters or talk shit on the South Park guys. I'm happy to do it. So uh, just pick up the phone, give me a ring. That's Kevin's promise. You, he will talk crap about South Park if you just call him on his cellular phone. In, in fact, I've heard he's willing to talk crap about South, South Park with anyone in the world except for you and I, Bowman. <laughs> that's true, yeah. That's where he draws the line. Can you blame me? After numerous unwarranted and unsolicited spadoinkles. <laughs> Those were classic spadoinkles. All right. We got well, one more. One more. One more my God. Whoa. Yeah. It's spadoinkle. This one is from... It's actually from Wayne. Hey, guys. It's Tom from Adelaide. How are you doing? It's been a while since I called, so I thought I'd check in. Uh, Kevin, man, it's a bit of a bummer to hear you going, but I completely understand your reasoning, and I look forward to still hearing from you every uh, month. And, yeah, Parker and Sean, I uh, look forward to hearing what you guys come through with. Uh, hopefully, we still get to hear from you guys a bit. Right? So, because, uh, you know, I know I love looking forward to listening to you every week uh yeah it means a lot to me uh yeah hopefully uh at some point you guys will uh get through to watching extreme prejudice because it is fucking wicked and uh (laughs) i think you will dig it so yeah there's that i'm uh personally just starting off my weekend at what like you know 1 30 or 2 in the morning on a saturday because i work until you know later later at night on a friday night um, yeah, I'm uh, having a beer and watching In Search of Darkness Part 3 on Shudder. Um, it's another one of those five-hour-plus kind of uh, things above all the uh, 80s horror movies, and it's pretty fun. Um, you know, I don't really... I don't have a pen and paper here, so I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of films I forget, but it is kind of a good resource to be able to catch up on some of the shit you might have missed. A uh, lot of fun. All right, well, yeah, you know, have a good one, guys. Uh, I look forward to, uh, you know, hearing the next couple of months of stuff that you're doing and then, you know, um, or basically, you know, whatever comes next. And, yeah, Kevin, I hope uh, everything goes well for you and look forward to hearing you from time to time, man. Take care, buddy. See you. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you, Tom. Um, Yeah, well, First of all, again, thank you for the kind words, and I appreciate uh, the sentiment. And yeah, I look forward to to continue to party with you on a on a monthly basis here. Um, but yeah, I I didn't know that they dropped a third in Search of Darkness. My God, I, I, have you guys watched any of those? They're like they're pretty cool. I mean, they're just kind of like uh, like you said, like these five hour documentaries. They just go year by year through the eighties and just talk about horror movies that came out that year. Um, and it's a pretty cool little rundown like i said they've they've done two of them already i i gotta imagine they've they have to get into some pretty obscure movies now that they're on the third installment of this but yeah they're pretty fun have you guys watched any of those i have not now um 
they seem interesting. I think there was like some controversy about the second one that like the second one was just unused footage from the first. And so like people were like upset about that for some reason, but I haven't seen any of them. So I don't understand the context necessarily, but uh, yeah, it seems like the kind of thing I would throw on and then play video games while listening to. So I'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's nothing like amazing. Cause a lot of these talking heads that they have are just like, you know, inner, internet reviewers like you know like you can't trust some idiot that just talks on about movies online um but yeah stuff like that where like or like the angry video game nerd talking about how much he loves friday the 13th or whatever but yeah they're fun just for like you said for background uh enjoyment i might uh i might check these out at some point because i i have not seen these yet but i did see that uh tom from Australia is having a birthday today. So happy oh, birthday, Tom. Indeed, you didn't mention birthday. it on the call. Yeah, man. Hope you have a good one. Hope you party hard down there. Yeah. Happy birthday. Well, very nice. Well, if you'd like to be like these fine folks and give us a call on the junk food dinner voicemail line, please pick up the phone and give us a call at three, four, seven, seven, four, six junk. That's three, four, seven, seven, four, six, five, eight, six, five. And let us know what you're up to this week. All right, that being said, let's get into some nerd news. From the global resources of junk food dinner worldwide, it's time for Nerd News. I've got some nerd news here about a... I feel like a firestorm of a subject that everybody on the internet's talking about. Um, and it, I think it just hit the wire uh, only a, a few hours ago, but AMC Sightline was announced today. Um, AMC Sightline is a new program uh, that will feature a new pricing structure that will split auditorium seats into three differently priced tiers in theaters across the country beginning this Friday. Uh, in a statement about the new program, Elliot Hamlish, uh, AMC's chief marketing officer, described Sightline as an effort to get consumers thinking about buying movie tickets the same way they might at uh, many other entertainment venues. Um, he also said uh, it's meant to give people uh, who have a p- particular seat that they enjoy a better shot at enjoying uh, at securing that seat, uh, and that some seats will become less expensive. Uh, He also says, while every seat at AMC delivers an amazing movie-going experience, uh, we know that there are some moviegoers who prioritize the specific seat and others who prioritize value moviegoing, blah, blah, blah. So basically, I think it's uh, it's only a few markets to start with. This Friday, it's going to launch in New York, Chicago, and Kansas City. But I think they're planning on rolling this out pretty aggressively nationwide throughout this year. And I think this is... A terrible idea. I mean, maybe I'm not the expert on how movie theaters are doing. Uh, The only two times I went to AMC in the past year were for Jackass and Babylon. But both of those screenings were completely empty. Um, Maybe it would would have been a different story if I'd gone to Avatars or, or Marvel movies or something. But I feel like there's so many opportunities to like try and pull people into the theater right now and fill those empty seats anything like this that seems like a barrier to entry feels like a mistake right now but but did you guys see this do you feel like this is a good idea is this ridiculous what do you think yeah i i fucking hate this i mean 
no surprise. I I hate fucking assigned seating at movie theaters. I hate everything about this because, yeah, it just sucks because they're trying to spin it like you're going to get, you know, better seats you can and all that shit. But fuck that, man. Like, you should be able to sit wherever the fuck you want. If you show up early enough, you get a good seat. If you show up late, you don't. Yeah, if the guy rules next of to engagement. you, guy next to you smells like onions, you know, you you move a couple rows over. That's happened to exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah, dude. And like you said, yeah, I don't know where they fuck they get the balls to pull this shit off because, like you said, they they don't really uh, I don't, they're not exactly raking them in to the box office at these multiplexes. So yeah, you well, guys aren't doing yourself any favors. And it seems like every time I turn around these fucking theaters are doing something stupid that fucking, you know, that just makes me wonder, do you guys just hate money? Do you not want people to come to your fucking theater? Because uh, it just sucks now, man. I would imagine that this is something that will never be enforced on any level whatsoever. So if you are going to support AMC, I would say just buy the cheapest possible ticket and sit wherever the fuck you want, because I can't imagine a system in which they're what they're sending in ushers mid movie to argue with people and tell them to go sit back a few rows. Like that's not going to work. Like the reason that assigned seating works is if you're in my seat, I will tell you get out of my seat. It doesn't work when you have a a staff member coming in and and policing everyone and what checking all their tickets. Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean maybe like you will they guide you to your seat when you walk in or something? You know. I imagine that the only way you'll get caught is if, yeah, like someone ends up actually buying the seat that you want to sit in. So, like, yeah, there's like literally it, no downside. You just but it's go, just oh, I'm sections. Sorry. I, I think it's going to be like three sections. So, uh, okay. I mean, that, w- that wouldn't even really be an issue, right? <clears throat> yeah. I don't think so. And this is stupid because, like, I know they paid some lip service to, like, oh, sometimes the seats will be cheaper. But, like, this would be cool if it was like, like you said, like 75% of the time theaters are completely empty because they play dog shit movies and everybody's watching Netflix now and like theaters are pretty irrelevant. So like there's not going to be a time where you could go, hey, it's Monday at noon. Give me one of your fancy $2 tickets to see a movie. Like the baseline ticket will probably stay at like $10 or whatever it is now. Like, you, you know, it's not going to go the other way, like where you know, you're getting these incredible deals when no one's going to the movies. Like you're still going to have to pay up for shitty tickets during non peak hours. So like, yeah, this is very stupid. I feel. Although I I think that is the way that they probably should have went. Like, you know, when we were young, you had the option to see the first run movies at the first run theater, pay a little more, or you wait for it to show up at the dollar theater, you know, a few months later, there aren't any dollar theaters anymore. But these theaters that are empty for most of the time, I think have an opportunity to be like, you know what, like during matinee hours or, you know, even to do it programmatically or something, you know, where it's looking at the ticket sales and reducing the price below what the current list price is for these showings that are empty, because then they're at least making some money, right? Instead of just running the movie, you know, I'm sure it's not. It's not free to run a projector, all that power and all that stuff to play a movie to like one person. They're going to be losing money at a certain point. Yeah. Then, I mean, they probably end up making a lot more money because you pull in somebody with a $2 ticket price and then they end up buying your $8 Diet Coke. And now you've, you've just swindled them into actually spending money. So 
Uh, I, I would imagine that they'd make a lot more money doing that, but I mean, who knows? I'm not a I'm not a business major. Yeah, and, and inflated popcorn prices. I mean, that's the kind of hucksterism that I think we can all get behind because you can you can sneak in your own snacks. You know, you can put put a pack of Junior Mints in your pocket when you walk in. You know what I mean? But well, I mean, it's that's always been the rule of fucking movie theaters. They're not in the movie business they are in the popcorn business because they literally make almost no money off the ticket sales because most of that goes right back to the the distributor and the the you know the let's just say disney well, it goes to disney kind of as it should be right i mean they made the fucking movie so they should make the money off the movie right what did but, amc do they gave you a roof and some popcorn you know yeah but that's where they got to make that money is that popcorn. yeah of course yeah yeah, but let's let's keep those ticket prices low-ish, and let's keep that money flowing to, to Disney. I know they need it, and let's keep my wallet fat full of cash. Yeah. Well, once again, I will be trying to avoid this as much as possible by going to local independent cinemas and drive-ins, where we don't have to worry about this bullshit. Now, the good news is that's a flourishing industry. Well, for now, mm-hmm. if, if we continue to give them some bucks. Yeah, not go to these stupid multiplexes that continuously give us a shittier and shitty product for more money. I agree. I mean, I, I, and to to think that people pay to sit through that Nicole Kidman spiel, Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, you, you know, gotta watch Maria Menudo's give you the four one one on what's yeah, coming really. to CBS this summer. Other theaters don't do that kind of shit, you know. All yeah, right. that, well, that yeah, sucks. That's AMC Sightline. Yeah, they suck. Uh, well, I got some news. Maybe this will get you guys into theaters. Um, the viral horror YouTube series, The Back Rooms, is getting a feature film adaptation from A24. What? In uh, James Wan's movie company. Uh, according to Deadline, 17-year-old Kane Parsons, the original creator behind the videos, is attached to direct. While He's Roberto, currently 17? He, yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah. He can't still be 17, right? Um. I think so. I mean, he only started doing them like two years ago. As a 15-year-old wow. boy? I think so, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, so he's, he's a young man. Uh, uh, a guy named Roberto Pantino, Clemente? which sounds <laughs> like a fake name, is set to write, which makes me a little less excited about this. I would expect that the guy who's been writing the short films that these are going to be based on would be a better writer, but... Um, they apparently hired the guy who wrote Westworld, a TV show with one good season and a bunch of shitty seasons and DMZ, a shitty TV show. Uh, he's going to write it. So, uh, I guess we'll see how that works out, but, um, but I'm glad this guy, he worked hard. He put this stuff out on YouTube, probably a labor of love. Now he's going to get a nice little check and probably this franchise will go for at least four movies. I would imagine because they're probably going to be super cheap to make and, uh, they're very spooky. So. I'm excited for this. What do you guys think? I can't believe you're trash talking my favorite anime, Dragon Mall Z. <laughs> What's on earth? Dragon Mall Z. You know where they watch that show, don't you? No. no. And again, in Japan, that's, you know, kind of common. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The virtual Kevin is coming to life before our very eyes. Uh, um, yeah, no, as a guy who has spent 13 years podcasting for almost no money, I'm, I'm always thrilled to hear about teenagers on YouTube making millions of dollars. <laughs> great. great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I like that short, so I, I say get money to this kid. But uh, I will be honest, I am kind of surprised that this this came to be. I mean, I, I would say of all the shorts that we've covered, this was probably one of the unlikeliest. Like, if you had asked me, probably would have said Dorf on Golf should have been a feature film before this, you know? No, 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 no. Don't, don't put that evil on us. Just saying, if it does happen, I want some royalties on that. Yeah, it is strange because, I mean, I haven't watched uh, any of these subsequent shorts. I keep meaning to, but you know, based on that first one, there isn't much of a story. So I I fear that they'll make it very story heavy um, and when they trans- when they adapt it into feature film length. So, um, but I don't know, I, maybe that could work, but I guess we'll we'll see how it goes. Well, very nice. Uh, well, yeah, I don't have any nerd news. I just wanted to talk about that stupid AMC bullshit. Uh, so I think on that note, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get into our first Patreon-picked sci-fi February movie of the week. And that is The Brood from 1979, picked by Portland Paul. So stick around. Have you always wanted to have Kevin Moss locked up in your house? Now you can. Just head on over to junkfooddinner.com for more information about it you can pre-order a stunning piece of artwork based on the likeness of kevin the beautiful kevin moth statue previously available only as a patreon giveaway we're now selling direct to you a listener dazzle potential romantic interests with this one-of-a-kind artwork that reinterprets your favorite jfd host not as a man but as a moth Get it now on junkfooddinner.com. Here now, hiding, waiting to strike. You can feel their presence. All 
all around you. Never before have you come this close to the edge of terror. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. Never until now. David Cronenberg's The Brood. Once unleashed, the brood will destroy anyone who gets in their way. David Cronenberg's ultimate experience in inner terror, starring Oliver Reed and Samantha Egar. The brood, they're waiting for you. Welcome back to Junk Food Dinner. The first movie on the show tonight is going to be The Brood. Uh, this was directed by David Cronenberg in the year of 1979 uh, and picked by Portland Paul. Thanks, Portland Paul, for picking this. Uh, this is a movie that I have loved for a while. Um, you know, I, I saw The Fly in the Dead Zone when I was pretty young as a kid, but I, I didn't go deeper into Cronenberg until probably my early 20s, you know, and at that point I ended up grabbing pretty much everything that he had done up until that point on DVD at Amoeba, you know, and, and I watched all of them, even Fast Company. Um, and I loved all of them, uh, except for Fast Company, which is that that really lame car racing movie that he did for no reason uh, around this time, actually, around 79. Uh, but I do have a, a real soft spot for Shivers and Rabbit and, and The Brood and Videodrome and I just remember being scanners. in my early, well scanners to a lesser degree, but I, I do love scanners. But I just remember being in my early twenties and feeling that it was like kind of mind blowing that there was like this whole new world of of rad horror movies that were made pretty much outside of the Hollywood system. You know, these were made up in Canada with like Canadian tax shelter money or something. And you know, I, I just being a, a young man, I didn't know that it was possible to make movies like this, you know, outside of Hollywood. So, um, you know, I, I came to love them pretty quickly. And, and this also was, uh, you know, back in that period of time where I didn't have access to just, you know, any movie I wanted at my fingertips all the time. So uh, the fact that these were among the first DVDs that I bought uh, meant that I watched them uh, quite frequently, um, including The Brood. Uh, the most recent time that I saw this was 2018 um, via Filmstruck, uh, it looks like, according to Letterboxd. Um, and I think that this probably had the same pixels then that it has now. I'm not sure, though, because, because I, I did watch this this week and I was struck by how beautiful these pixels are. And, you know, the current pixels on this, which I think are via Criterion, yeah, uh, but I'm not sure, uh, look great. So if it's been a while since you've seen this, uh, do keep that in mind. You know, the plot of this movie is a little bit hard to describe without spoiling some of the very late in the movie reveals. So I'm just going to have to assume that everybody out there has seen The Brood. 
Um, and if not, you know, it, it's currently streaming on HBO Max and it's, it's rentable for a few bucks on pretty much every platform. So it's easy to see. And I think you should. Uh, but the plot concerns Art Hindle, the actor Art Hindle, who plays Frank, a Canadian dude going through a divorce with his wife and young child. Uh, Samantha Egger and plays. Can, oh, can I say something about this gentleman? Oh, and sure. Am I, yeah. am I the only one that thinks this? Am I alone in thinking that uh, Art Hindle looks like a normal or average size Peter Dinklage? Oh, Okay. I could go for that. You know who he reminded me of yeah. the most was who was the second neighbor on Married with Children? Remember, there was like the first neighbor, and, and then he pieced out from the show, and then later they were was it Ted? Was that the guy's name? Yeah, Ted yeah, McGinley, the, the guy from Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. Well, is so is that? But that's not this actor, right? That that is a different actor. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Very, very different. Okay. Yeah, but he kind of has has vibes of that. Looks like this guy, actually, Art Hindle, was in a, a ton of cool movies. Uh, he was in Black Christmas, uh, Body Snatchers, 1978, Porky's 1 and 2. So he's no slouch, you know, in, in the Canadian uh, cult uh, genre film scene. He's no slouch, but but yeah, kind of Dinklage-esque. Anyhow, he is playing Frank. Um, as I said, you know, he's going through a divorce uh, with his wife and young child, Samantha Eggers, playing that wife named Nola. Uh, she is secluded away from Frank uh, in the care of an experimental psychologist played by Oliver Reed. Uh, this psychologist practices a new form of therapy called psychoplasmics, which sadly was not invented by Wendy O. Williams, uh, but is like a, a weird new, new agey kind of... Um, uh, psychiatric technique that he's developed that, you know, partially involves traditional th- therapy techniques like role playing and, and just kind of have, having conversations about past traumas. Um, but it also includes expunging those traumas physically out through your body. So like the way that this will play out is, you know, you'll, you'll be talking to Oliver Reed about your dad's drinking problem or whatever. And, you know, when things get really emotional, you'll start to break out in these weird blisters or sores all over your body. And this is supposed to be a good thing. Um, You know, uh, this is supposed to mean effectively that you're like squeezing out those demons, you know, you're expressing that trauma out through your body. And so that's how it works, I guess. Um, But as you would imagine in, in any movie with a new slash experimental form of science, Things go wrong, and and ultimately, um, and again, this is a huge spoiler, so please, you know, see this movie before I spoil it. But uh, ultimately, his psychiatric approach ends up spawning these little demon hell children, uh, whom run amok, doing murders, abducting Frank's daughter, and generally disrupting Frank's day to day life. And that's more or less what happens in this movie. We can get into specifics about how that plays out at the end, if you like. Um, but one thing that I, I, I've known, I guess through probably the DVD commentaries, but you, you see a lot of writing about this online is that, um, Oliver Reed was a, apparently a, like a real terror on this set. People talk about how he was just drunk all the time and just very difficult to work with. Uh, there's a bit of trivia on IMDb that, that mentions that he was arrested by Canadian police during production after he made a bet with someone that he could walk from one Toronto bar buck naked in freezing cold weather to another. (laughs) 
So now that I like. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty cool. Um, but but I think you know, despite the fact that he was apparently you know drunk all the time, I think he's good in this. You know, he, he gives a very intense performance. Uh, I think Samantha Egger is also very good in this. Um, and I, you know, I also liked um, this lead guy, Art Hindle, who. If you look at Cronenberg's movies, especially these earlier ones, you know, Cronenberg was cycling through a lot of these kind of medium charisma, nondescript Canadian male leads. Um, And I think this is one of the better ones, certainly a a lot better than like Stephen Lack in Scanners, who I just, I can't stand Stephen Lack in Scanners. And it it almost ruins that movie for me. (laughs) But this guy's good. Um the other actor in this that I thought stood out in a smaller role is there's a guy, I didn't write down his name, sadly, but I think he's a Canadian guy who plays this cancer-stricken ex-patient of Oliver Reed. I thought he was really good, kind of got like a great intensity to his performance, um, almost like an F. Murray Abraham kind of look to him, but but I thought he was great. Um, and speaking of looks, I just love the look of this movie. You know, I, I love the house that, that Oliver Reed and Samantha Egger are secluded in. Um, I think the interior design in this movie is really cool. It's it's like very late 70s, and there's kind of just this cold weather feeling about this whole movie that I enjoy, and um, lovely wood paneling in the, in these homes. And, of course, it goes without saying the, uh, the wallpaper is incredible as well. Um, I, I can see this movie not being for everyone. You know, it is a little bit confusingly structured, um, there's not a ton of characters or plot elements or anything, probably your standard amount in a movie like this, but they're not necessarily introduced in a way that, uh, makes it easy to digest. Um, certain plot elements come in very late in this movie and it really doesn't kind of introduce the key concept here until like the final 20 minutes or something. And so I, you know, I think that can be a downside for some people, uh, that may be lessened, upon rewatch. And I, I wish I remembered how confused I was when I first watched this initially. I'm guessing that I, I was somewhat confused um, because a lot of this makes, you know, questionable sense at times. Like um, after this creature attacks um, Frank and, and his child, would he really be invited to the autopsy of that creature? <laughs> and would the guy doing the autopsy be so like glib about, about the whole thing? Yeah. He's just like, Oh, this is wild. I've never seen a creature like this anywhere. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I even commented on that when we were watching it, I was like, for a guy who's basically seeing like a scientific anomaly that he, uh, an, an essentially an alien creature yeah. that like lives off a fleshy, he like describes a fleshy sack that it feeds off of. Like it's no big whoop. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. And that whole scene is just very strange. It's, it's very yeah. silly. You know, the, the doctor just being like, well, what you have here is something that's been completely foreign to science up until now, but it's, yeah, it's no big deal. But no also need the to fight. No need to follow up or call the local no. university or anything like that. Let's no. not worry about it. Leave the FBI out of this. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's just going to be between me and you doc, <laughs> which, yeah, that whole scene is, is silly. But, but the fact that, if you think about it, Frank abandoned his daughter alone at home who has just been attacked multiple times by these creatures to go party with this uh, this funeral home di- director or, or whatever, this morgue technician. You know, like, well, that's a weird choice, Frank. Maybe uh, maybe I do understand why your wife is, di- is divorcing you. 
Um, but that said, I do like the scene. It's kind of a fun scene, despite it making no sense. Um, I like the fact that it looks like the alien autopsy special on Fox television, uh, which by the way, we should maybe get it, get around to reviewing, uh, at some point, although it's too late because Kevin Moss ended the show forever. So I guess we'll never review that. How um, you? <laughs> but, um, yeah, overall, I, like I said, I, I don't think this movie is for everybody. There's definitely a couple actors in this with, you know, actors with a capital A doing acting with a capital A, where it's just like they are really leaning into, into their performances, screaming at each other, you know, or just going, you know, uh, getting very emotional, which I, I think works for me for this kind of a movie. But certainly if you told me that it, you found that to be annoying, like all these psychotherapy scenes, I get it. And I know that a lot of people are annoyed by killer kids in movies and I get it, but you know, what I would say to them is what about killer kids with vague, indistinct rubbery makeup that you don't see clearly for most of the movie? How's that sound for you? Cause actually I think it works in this movie. I, I like that these kids are just kind of these weird alien things that aren't, I mean, I guess they are explained, but they still seem so foreign and unexplained by the end of the movie. Um, I love their, their little hoods up rain jackets. I think they're creepy. Um, and so for me, I, I think that this is pretty close to top tier Cronenberg. It's, it's not on the level of Videodrome or the fly, but it might be my third favorite Cronenberg after those two. Um, so I'm, I'm very glad that we got a chance to rewatch this and, uh, just a couple more quick facts. Uh, the American theatrical trailer for this movie was edited together by Joe Dante. I thought that was cool. And this marked the first collab between Cronenberg and Howard Shore, the composer, and they'd go on to make, uh, you know, I think all of Cronenberg's movies after this were scored by Shore. So um, so that's cool. And, and I think this is actually a really good Howard Shore score. It sounds kind of Bernard Herrmann-esque with all the strings and all that. But yeah, I, I loved going back to this movie. I love this movie. What about you guys? How, how do you guys feel about The Brood? Yeah, I like this one as well. I, you know, like you said, it's kind of in that that Cronenberg sweet spot between Shivers, Rabid, uh, and then this and Scanners and Videodrome and Dead Zone and The Fly, where he was just knocking it out of the park left and right. Um, and yeah, I actually saw this on the drive-in screen um, because yeah, I had not seen it as a kid or grew up with it. It was one of the last ones of this era of Cronenberg for me to get around to, and I don't know why it took me so long to get to it. I just it just didn't have to have the cachet as, as a kid uh, of something like a scanners or a video drum or the fly. I don't remember it being talked about too much, you know, when it was out on home video as a kid. And maybe it was because it was a little, you know, in those seventies days where, you know, a lot, some of that stuff maybe not, didn't get as much traction in the eighties and nineties, but yeah, it, I'm kind of bummed that it took me such a long time to get around to it because when I did finally see it, I saw it in a double feature at the drive-in with a video drum in this, which was great to see. And yeah, it's just a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I, I like, uh, the whole story of this. Like you said, it's not, I don't know. It's, you know, it's kind of classic Cronenberg. It's like distrust of, you know, some weird outside, um, kind of corporation in this case you know the the psychology the pseudoscience technology of oliver reed and his thing and uh the weird body horror of course and then you add the element of these killer kind of mutant kids and uh overall i you know i think it's a lot of fun 
I think all the acting in it is great. I really like you said, Oliver Reed. He's you know hamming it up, but he's doing a great job at it. Art Hindle, I think, in the main role is good. Um, the girl who I we just kept calling uh, Canadian Carol Ann because she reminded us of the girl from Poltergeist. Uh, you know, she's having a traumatic life experience and and one after another. So, you know, she's fucked for life. But she was know. also the uh, the daughter in that Canadian movie that we did a long time ago called Deadline. If you remember that movie, oh, she, I, she, yeah, she's in a few things from around that time. But she does look like Carol Ann for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, Samantha Agger as Nola, especially at the end, and not just because of the insane, you know, body horror ending of this, but just at the end, when, like her acting, she's very, comes off as very crazy and very, very good. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, all the ladies in this movie uh rock some killer 70s boots which i liked uh so that's fun uh yeah i like the demonic uh hair lip demon children in this i think they're creepy especially because they have like old man hands uh and a lot of times like all you see is like their hands first and so like seeing these like weathered veiny hands on a little body is just something unsettling about it and then you see their weird little faces and it's even more unsettling um I do find it hard to believe that these two little kids beat that teacher to death with just those little toy hammers. That, that seems like an impossible task, but all right, we'll buy it. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think, yeah, if you like Cronenberg, if you have not seen this before and you've seen Videodrome, Scanners, The Fly, you like all that stuff, you got to check it out because, uh, yeah, I think this is a lot of fun. I mean, it's tight too, like a tight 90 minutes. I don't. I never got bored, even though it kind of you know veers from, uh, you know, place to place. I think overall, I still think it kind of keeps the story chugging along, and um, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't find it hard to follow. I thought it was a, thought it was a good time. So yeah, I say check it out. Well, I also say check this movie out. Uh, this is my first time seeing it. Um, I, I'm I was slow to adopt some of these older Cronenbergs. I think. Uh, the first time I saw Shivers was whenever we did it on the show. And then the first time I saw, um, what's that other one? Rabid was just a few years ago when Joe Bob showed it. Um, so these have been kind of a blind spot for me. Uh, but, but I like it. My MVP for this movie is the little kid, like during the scene that you mentioned where the, the monsters are attacking the teacher and beating the teacher with hammers. There's a kid who just assesses the situation and then runs home. And I like that kid. He just runs <laughs> well, right out of the classroom. He tells he tells full-grown Peter Dinklage first and then runs home. Yeah. Well, you got to let somebody know. But I do appreciate that he just went home. He was just like, this is too scary of a situation. And I'm leaving. Well, I like how no one noticed the shit. Yeah. No one noticed these like mutant kids in the in the class for like a full 30 minutes. They have their hoods up. Yeah. Can't see kids the front of their mutants. faces with their hoods up, you know? Yeah. Normal little kids are very mutanty as well, so <laughs> it happens. Uh Samantha Egger is great in this, like they're you know, after all the build up in this movie, like this movie's so dependent on like this very slow build up. Like if she would have been bad, then the whole movie kind of 
might have fallen apart because like her what happens with her is like very out of left field and very kind of you know strange and and uh, surprising uh so if she would have been bad it you can imagine you can imagine like not being able to suspend disbelief and kind of everything falling apart but she's amazing so it all works out um i do think that some of it is kind of boring um like they're you know like they're, they're kind of chugging along and trying to solve this mystery and then um not being very charismatic and not uh you know Cronenberg's a very slow and detached kind of filmmaker so it's all very slow and this is one of the more brown movies we've ever seen as well like there's not a single color in this movie I don't think um outside of like the little rain jackets so <laughs> I do think it's a little bit a little bit slow verging on boring territory but Cronenberg is smart enough that like every 20 minutes we get a a fun monster attack so uh, you know, or a, a monster autopsy scene, or something fun to kind of get back into it. So, I don't think it's uh, it's too bad. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. The boringness. Um, I do think that these little monsters. Um, I think that Cronenberg probably saw that movie "Don't Look Now," which came out uh, about six years before this. There's a there's a similar sort of look to a character in that movie as the character as the monstery characters in this. Uh, so I think maybe Cronenberg liked that movie, which is fine because that's one of the scariest monsters that's ever existed in a movie. So, um, so I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, I like this a lot. I like this better than Rabbit and, and Shivers for sure. But after this, he he gets into Scanners and the Fly and everything like the, that. So all that stuff's better. But this is, I think, is that middle point between kind of working things out and 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 being a at the top of his game, I think. Um, so, so yeah, this is good. Nice. Um, I'm glad that you guys, uh, enjoyed watching this. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not a perfect movie. I, I do think that I could envision a better version of this movie that maybe introduces like that crazy stuff with Samantha Egger a little bit earlier. And we get to kind of play with that concept a little more. Cause as soon as we know about it, the movie's got like three minutes left or something in its runtime. And it's like, you know, I mean, we could explore that maybe, I don't, I don't know. Um, but despite that, you know, I, I think it's a pretty impressive movie. And again, the fact that he made this outside of the system, you know, that this resembles, uh, you know, a fully accomplished horror movie. So, so much, you know, that, that it does with the resources he had. I don't know. I, I think that's impressive, but I think that about wraps it up for The Brood. Uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back to talk about The Adventures of Mark Twain. So stick around. God came to the woman just like I'm coming to you. Oh, and I feel God is dealing with some of you. You feel like you're backed into a corner. There's no place to go. The devil has you cornered. And if you move toward God and he doesn't move toward you, then you would be the provider. And even when you just make the call, as for junk food dinner God sees the desires of your heart God is obligated to honor your faith this is a way that we can make contact with you that are far away or those that are close that aren't able to get to service and tonight's issue is should New Yorkers carry handguns or should they be allowed to have handguns uh, the number is 347-746-JUNK and you can call it and we can talk about it why don't you pick up the phone right now and call that toll-free number? 
I want to thank everybody from calling us, uh, except for those of you that interrupted the show with your rudeness. places, far-gone times, and far-out creatures. Hello. Adventurers on a breathtaking trip into the heart of Halley's Comet. Come, join them on their quest for fun. I'm getting out of here. Danger. and excitement. Come, share the adventures of Mark Twain, the first feature film in the magic of claymation that will make you believe in imagination. to Junk Food Dinner, the next Sci-Fi Ebuary Patreon pick movie this week is The Adventures of Mark Twain from 1985, picked by Eamon. If you are not familiar with The Adventures of Mark Twain, it is a Will Vinton 
directed full length claymation animated film. Um, if you're not familiar with claymation, it was a popular form of stop motion animation popularized by Will Vinton and probably reached its peak with the California Raisins. Uh, but Will Vinton was known for his claymation works uh, for years before uh, reaching massive success with the California Raisins. Uh, in fact, um, my girlfriend's a big fan of the Will Vinton uh, claymation Christmas special, which she has on DVD and we watch pretty much uh, every Christmas. Uh, it's a fun one. But yeah, and, and claymation was so prominent in the 1980s that a lot of people still even refer to this day to most stop motion as claymation, despite the fact that most stop motion these days does not use any clay whatsoever. Uh, but Will Vinton definitely had a, a distinct style when it came to the clay and uh, knew how to animate it. And The Adventures of Mark Twain uh, is his kind of... Uh, uh, incorporating the legend of Mark Twain, some of his characters, including Tom Sawyer, Becky Thatcher, and Huck Finn, in a new, unique story where, uh, in this world, Mark Twain lives in the same universe as his characters somehow. And Mark Twain, uh, apparently in real life, was born during Halley's Comet and died during Haley's the comment and had wrote about how he came in with it and he was going to go out with it. And I guess based on that quote and that fact, uh, they wrote the story about Mark Twain wanting at the end of his life, wanting to man a magical flying ship to the stars to follow Haley's comment in his advancing age. And Tom Sawyer, Becky Thatcher and Huck Finn stowaway on this magic flying ship and follow him on his journey into the stars. Uh, and while they're up there, he tells them a very long story about Adam and Eve, which I still don't understand really what it has to do with anything. I feel like maybe this Adam and Eve claymation was maybe something Will Vinton already had in yeah. the can. Started out somewhere else, and then they yeah. moved it over here. Yeah, And then he worked it into this thing. Uh, they also encounter a very creepy devil character, uh, that has one of the kind of more frightening scenes. And in fact, I think a lot of what people bring this up, if you saw this as a kid, apparently that devil character with the mask in front of his face, uh, was a, a big, like nightmare fuel for kids in the eighties who had the pleasure of seeing this on home video. As kids, uh, there's also a scene where a dude's trying to get into heaven, talking to uh, this three-headed alien at the gates of heaven, which is kind of funny. Uh, but most of it's just uh, Mark Twain floating around with these kids, dropping uh, dropping pearls of wisdom on them. Mark Twain is voiced by James Whitmore, by the way, who you might re recognize from uh, Shawshank Redemption. He was the old guy that uh, that fed the bird in Shawshank Redemption, if you remember that. Um, he plays the voice of Mark Twain. I think he does a good job of that. Um, and yeah, this is a weird movie. I never saw this as a kid. I, for some reason, just didn't, I never got the chance to rent it. 
I never saw it on TV. Uh, but I, I, I do remember being made aware of this sometime uh, in the in the early days of the internet, you know, just looking stuff up, you know, people talk about, you know, what movies messed you up as a kid, you know, talking about Return to Oz and uh, Peanut Butter Solution and things like that. And this would get brought up, I think, mostly because of that, that weird devil guy with the mask. Also, there's some pretty terrifying scenes with uh, the now politically incorrect Injun Joe, who shows up and terrorizes the kids for a little bit. And it's also very scary. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, an interesting movie just, uh, just by virtue of the fact that it, again, it's all done in claymation. So it has a very unique kind of trippy art style and the way they use the animation to, uh, create some visual gags and to create, uh, some movement, uh, it was pretty interesting. All the characters have really oversized feet and hands too. I don't know if that was like just a character design choice or if that was something with the claymation helped them, you know, maybe the clay creatures, you know, balance better or who knows. But yeah, it is very weird. They all have these gigantic hands and feet, uh, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. It has absolutely, you know, F all to do with Mark Twain. Really, if you're, you know, looking for some interesting retelling of Mark Twain's life, or any of his stories. I mean, despite the fact that it has Tom Sawyer, Becky Thatcher, Huck Finn, and Mark Twain, uh, it, it really goes into left field <laughs> really quickly uh, and has very little to do with the actual Mark Twain or his stories. It's more uh, just a showcase for them to do just some weird claymation stuff. And that's fine. You know, I got no problem with that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting movie. Again, mostly just for the visuals. Um, but... I don't know. Overall, I, I think if you've seen, if you saw this as a kid, probably has some serious nostalgia for it. Um, but seeing it as an adult, like I said, just the claymation itself is very cool to watch from a story standpoint. Yeah, it's, it's just okay. And some of it's just downright ludicrous, but overall still a fun watch, especially if you've never seen it before, or if you haven't seen a ton of claymation, uh, just to see that classic Will Vinton style in all its, you know, full length feature film glory. Uh, it's, it's a good time, but don't, don't go in expecting like a real, you know, amazing storyline or anything, or really even a cohesive plot. Cause it does just kind of jump around from story to story. Um, but you know, it's claymation. What, what do you want? Um, but yeah, what did you guys think of the adventures of Mark Twain? Well, um, I remember this being around as a kid. I yeah. believe I watched it. Um, some of it seemed familiar and some of it didn't probably because some parts of it are good and some parts of it are bad. And I probably forgot the bad parts, but some of this is fun. Like the animation is obviously very good. Um, I really enjoy the animation on the mustaches specifically. (laughs) You're talking about that frog jumping scene. Yeah. The frog jumping and Mark Twain himself. Magnifique. Uh, wonderful. Yeah. That whole frog jumping scene is probably my favorite part of this. Um, just the voices and the characterizations and the the models that they use are are super fun. Um, I like those guys. And, uh, you know, I feel like this is the kind of thing, like, I mean, it obviously probably got a lot of play in schools and stuff. Like, you know, your teacher would wheel out the little AV TV and play this. And it probably works best to watch this, like, after you've spent 
three weeks reading Mark Twain stuff from your textbook because, you know, you know, I think the frog thing is a Mark Twain story. I think, you know, pretty much every line of dialogue that Twain says in this isn't like a Mark Twain quote. Um, obviously the Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer stuff, like, you know, I feel like if, if you had just boned up on all this stuff, then like a lot of the stuff would probably uh, hit you in a, in a slightly more agreeable way because you'd get the references and stuff. Um, and, you know, understand why you're veering off into so many different places. Are are you yourself a, a Twainsman though, Bowman? I'm, I'm curious about that. I am intrigued by him. Like, it seems like he's, he's kind of the prototype to a lot of the stuff I like, like the, the mix of fiction and journalism, like that Hunter Thompson and Joan Didion and like even Hemingway would, would kind of make famous. So it's from what I understand, he kind of invented that. So I should be a Twainsman, but I, I have not read any of his stuff since I was, you know, in third grade or whatever. Yeah. That's pretty much where I'm at as well. You know, I, I think that I like him, but I'm really just kind of talking about enjoying those books when I was in elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. I've been meaning to go back. I, apparently he's got some good like journalism books and stuff or, you know, like nonfiction uh, stuff. So, um, so I probably should, but I mean, I like, you know, he seems nice. I like him in, in a vague sort of way. You like that um, white suit that he wears. I like that suit. I like a lot of his quotes that pop up from time to time. Um, so yeah, he seems good. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, a lot of this is fun. That scary parts, I can definitely imagine that being traumatic for little kids. And then even now, it's like, I mean, you get past the scary sort of uncanny valley of the mask talking, this floating mask talking to kids, and he just starts uh, piping out all this like weird Lovecraftian stuff about how, you know, we can't fathom the unrelenting horror of being alive. And it's like, okay, this is certainly <laughs> much more scary than. Uh, just the visuals. This is intriguing. Uh, so I like that guy. Um, and I like the Adam and Eve stuff does go on like way too long. Uh, but I do like they the come back for a part two, for God's sakes. Yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous. They could have moved on. Like he's got a lot of other books and stories and stuff like. Uh, I mean, I assume that's based on something that Twain wrote, not that he wrote the Bible, but like you know, some account of the Bible, like a, you know, a different account of it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he also wrote like the Yankee and or the Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court, like puts some of that razzmatazz in here. We don't need to keep going back to the Bible thing. Um, but I do like the part where Adam goes over the waterfall a lot of times. That was fun. That was like an episode of Jackass. That was really fun. It looks like Eve's Diary was a comic short story by Mark Twain published in a Christmas issue of Harper's Bazaar. So this was in like a magazine, like and it and it warrants two segments. That does seem a little bit excessive. Yeah, yeah, especially if it was just a comic strip. I mean, really, well, it's a comic short story. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So, so yeah. So parts of this I like a great deal, and parts of it are kind of kind of whatever, but it's certainly fun to watch. And, uh, I mean, definitely unique. So, uh, it's definitely worth watching. Yeah. I, I had never seen this before. I, I had been meaning to see this for, uh, you know, some time. Um, I, I do consider myself to be 
or I guess as a child, I considered myself to be a major fan <clears throat> of the California raisins. Uh, it, it's been a while since I've checked in with those raisins, but I would imagine I would still be a fan if I went back to that well. Um, as an adult, I, I guess overall, I haven't done the Will Vinton deep dive that I, I need to do. I remember that Christmas special being on uh, as a kid, and, and I remember enjoying it. And, and I think he had a couple other like TV specials. And I know that he did a lot of commercials and stuff, but I feel like I, I could probably take a weekend and, and do the, the Will Vinton deep dive because I love the look of you know these rubbery clay uh, characters that he comes up with. I, I think that they're really charming. I guess there was also a, a documentary that came out, I don't know if it was last year, maybe the year before, but it been in recent days called Clay Dreams that is about mm. uh, the Vinton studio and, and about how it, I guess, was taken over and turned into Leica, which is something that I didn't know at all. But I guess Will Vinton's studio eventually became Leica, and mm. it was kind of a contentious situation maybe. I'm not sure. I, I haven't seen the doc, but... Um, I did rewatch Coraline this weekend. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's related at, at all. I don't, <laughs> don't know if that's relevant, but it's it's like it related. Um, but I feel like this movie, Adventures of, of Mark Twain, I'm not sure where it was when I was a kid. Like I, I don't remember ever hearing about this. I don't think it played on TV uh, as far as I can remember. Um, and it's a shame, you know, that, that it. I didn't hear about this until my adulthood. Um, I actually liked the Haley's Comet angle in this. You know, I thought I thought that was kind of a fun surprise. Um, you know, being born in 1982, as I was, you know, a few years before Haley's Comet, I feel like I've also always had kind of a mild interest in Haley's Comet. Um, I've never really acted on that interest in any notable way, but I feel like maybe someday, you know, in my retirement, you might find me on eBay hoarding like 1986. Haley's Comet merchandise, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, th- I think there's something kind of cool about that stuff. Um, yeah. I remember it being a big deal when I was a little kid. Like, people were hyped for it. Yeah, and it, and it seems like, much like Mark Twain, the three of us, you know, if we play our cards right, we might end up dying around the time of, you know, its, its return. So it's funny to me that, that they play it up as some kind of crazy coincidence that it's like, Oh, he was born roughly near the time of it and died roughly near the time of it coming back. But the thing comes back every 75 years, and, and that is kind of like an average human lifespan, right? So <laughs> it's not like the most remarkable coincidence or anything. Um, but I like that they went with that. You know, I, I think that this being an anthology movie, some of the segments work better than others, as you guys said. I think my favorite part probably also was the frog jumping segment, I also love those guys' mustaches and, and the way that they animate those. Like anytime they speak, you can't see their mouths. You only see their mustaches kind of uh, rumbling around on their face. And, and I thought that was really cute. My least favorite segment also was the Adam and Eve stuff, but I, I thought there were some fun bits in there too. You know, there, there's that one bit where um, Adam is in the Garden of Eden and briefly transforms into architecture which I thought was a, just a kind of surreal, funny, little trippy visual. Uh, there's a part where he's drinking from a coconut out of a straw that I thought was kind of a cute little visual gag. And you can see like beside him on the ground, he's got like a six pack of coconuts with straws in them that I thought was really funny. Um, and there's that cool looking buzzard in the Garden of Eden too that I liked. Uh, probably the biggest problem with this though is just kind of like how the dialogue is written 
and the quality of the voice acting, all of it kind of adds up to like this heavy kids entertainment kind of tone um, that I think is just kind of like lame and, and is probably off-putting for new audiences. Um, if they could have maybe dialed down their tendency to try and make everything that Mark Twain say in this be a famous Mark Twain quote. Like, I, I think that's <laughs> maybe one of the problems of, of this script that might've helped. Um, and maybe hire some voice actors who could do this in maybe a more slightly tongue in cheek kind of a vibe. Like I'm thinking of like the voice actors from like Jay Ward's cartoons, you know, like Bullwinkle. I think a gang of, of voice actors like that might've brought a sense of fun to this. Whereas what we do end with end up with is just a lot of kind of, I don't know, like kids entertainment kind of voices, like people speaking very clearly and, and slowly and just kind of dryly. And, and there's not a, a lot of pep or anything to these voices. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, this thing is chock full of weird moments. And I think you do have to value that, you know, I can see why it failed theatrically. Like it seems like a tough sell to kids, even that, even in the 1980s to be like, you kids want to come out and watch this movie about a guy that died like a hundred years ago or, or whatever. And then if you do get them into the uh, theater, I mean, there's some real scary stuff in, in this movie that probably would have sent a lot of kids, you know, running from the theater screaming, you know, and not just the, you know, the Satan stuff, which is certainly terrifying. But I, I thought that thunderstorm scene that alone, I thought was pretty fucking terrifying when they're on the ship, you know, going through this crazy thunderstorm, um, I would have been scared as a kid by that. Um, but yeah, lots of fun in this. I was impressed with a lot of the, of course, the design elements, but also the camera movements. There's like some POV walking shots in this where like the camera's walking around as a character that you don't really see too often in stop motion. Um, it's like you guys said, it's far from a perfect movie. It definitely could have used like another script pass. But, uh, you know, it's, it's got that weird alien orgy scene in it, you know, when they open up the gates of heaven and behind the gates of heaven is an alien orgy. I mean, did you expect <laughs> yeah. that in a children's movie? Like, this, and <laughs> I guess also this kid's movie, like the whole plot of it is based on like a, a death trip that Mark Twain's on. Like he's on a suicide mission. Right. This whole thing is just kind of bizarre and fucked up. And, and also you get that cool scene where he plays maybe the best looking claymation Wurlitzer organ that I've ever seen in any movie. So yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag, but I'll take this mixed bag any day because the stuff that's good in this is pretty great. Nice. Well, yeah, I think that just about wraps it up for the adventures of Mark Twain claymation fun for the whole family. You can watch it now. It's uh, free on Tubi with the uh, commercials, but yeah, check it out if you haven't seen it before. All right, we are going to take a quick break, and we come back, we are going to get into our final Patreon-picked movie of the evening, and that is Slipstream from 1989, picked from John from Dayton, so stick around.
Rowan here thinks he's going to take our prisoner. They vow to track him to the edge of existence. Poison guard. Now drop the gun and we'll talk about getting you the antidote. I never believe a man staring down the barrel of a gun. <laughs> Boy, you should this time. Now it's a race against time across dangerous territory. This is forbidden territory. What are you doing? You're under arrest. Dollar. Let's <laughs> <laughs> show him what we got, boys. You're stuck in a place like this forever. I can help you. A battle of wits in an unknown land. I'll give you the antidote. Then I'll shoot you. That's what I like. Teamwork. A sense of fair play. You've misled them about us. So how can we know you're not misleading us about them? A test of courage under fire. I should kill you right now is what I should do. And this time there will be no prisoners. I'm not leaving with you. Slipstream. Welcome back to Junkfied Schlitzy, the final movie. This week is Slipstream. This is a 1989 movie picked by John from Dayton uh, that I was intrigued by. This is the movie that's famous for having Mark Hamill with like very weird bleach blonde hair in it. Now, define fame in regards to this movie. Well, it's not famous by any means, but that's the one thing people know about this movie. Those who know about it. Yeah, if you know anything, it's going to be Mark Hamill's highlights. Yeah. That's the one thing. Uh, it's directed by Steven Lisberger, who did Tron. Yeah. So, kind of impressive. Yeah. And then basically nothing else. I think he serves as an EP on the new Tron. Thank you very much. Maybe. An extended play. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. Um, in this movie... It's the post-apocalypse. The climate has changed. So now people travel by little airplanes through these slipstreams. Which is certainly going to be great for the environment, right? Well, what do you mean? The emissions caused by the planes? Yeah, I mean, you go from cars to planes as your primary mode of transit. Due to environmental, I mean, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. 
It's true. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Oh, fair point, Kevin Moose. Yeah, that's a good point. That explains why I didn't see anybody filling up these jets. Yeah. Yeah, they just uh, roam around on these little streams. Um, That's how they get around. There's a lot of footage of them just floating around, these little airplanes. Lots and lots of footage of just floating around on airplanes. Um, It did remind me of my great aunt's vacation footage of when she went ballooning that time mm -hmm. in Northern California. A lot of this movie is like that. Yeah, that's definitely the feel. Um, Shot by somebody's uh, grandma or aunt uh, who is not a professional cinematographer. That's that's how most of this feels. Um, In this film, uh, Bill Paxton, our main man, plays Matt Owens. Uh, he, He does some stuff. I don't know. He steals a guy from Mark Hamill, who's like an evil bounty hunter as well, I guess. Um, it's all very boring. I'm going to be honest with you. The movie's boring as fuck. <laughs> He's, well, he steals a guy or what does he steal? Well, he steals a robot. The guy's a, a robot. A robot um, who he thinks is named. Byron. Look, Byron, I'm not going to have a problem with you, am I? There we go. <laughs> I was thinking about getting that drop, but I was much too lazy to do it. So I'm I'll send it to you because it's on my soundboard, <laughs> but it really shouldn't be. Because when am I ever going to use that? <laughs> I'm definitely going to need that one. Um, yeah, this this Byron, he's played by Robbie Coltrane. You probably know him from those Harry Potter books. Wait, wait, wait. No, oh, Byron's the other guy. Oh, Bob wait. Peck. You're right. You're absolutely right. I'm getting guys mixed up. Bob Peck. Peck. You, who I think you might know as being like kind of the mousy British guy in a lot of movies. I'm trying to remember what's his big role being this mousy British guy, but you've seen the face. Well, well, his biggest role is him being not mousy. It's as Muldoon in Jurassic Park, the the raptor hunter. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's probably mousy in a lot of stuff. looks like he does a lot of Shakespearean things on the side. He was also in a movie called Parker. From 1985, which I guess we'll have to do on the show. All right, All right marking that one down. You know, Parker, I thought you knew better than get involved. <laughs> We're working up to a good theme show here. Between this Parker, the Jason Statham Parker from a few years ago, I think we got something brewing here. Um, maybe an episode of Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Now you're talking. Um, so, so, yeah, so a lot of... Interesting people are in this. I mean, obviously, Mark Hamill, Bill Paxton, this Bob Peck fellow, Robbie Coltrane, people like Ben Kingsley and F. Murray Abraham also show up in this. Uh, wild. So many high caliber actors uh, to show up for this terrible, terrible, terrible movie. Well, it, it was produced by Gary Kurtz. And I, I think that probably explains why they were able to get a lot of these people involved. Uh, Gary Kurtz being the guy that co-produced the first couple Star Wars movies with George Lucas. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that they probably thought this was going to be a big deal because, I mean, this guy was, fresh, well, not fresh off of Tron, but I mean, he did do Tron. And yeah, you've got uh, Gary Kurtz, as you mentioned. So, um, yeah, I'd imagine this was probably pretty, pretty primed to be some sort of big budget Hollywood blockbuster. And then just nobody ended up seeing it. Um, uh, Wikipedia doesn't have the budget listed 
But um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I think we probably all watched the best version of this available um, and it looks very bad. It's uh, horrible to look at, I would say. Uh, both the aspect ratio of this is bad. Uh, it's so dark that there are long stretches of this film where you can't tell what's going on. Um, the The quality is bad and it's shot poorly in a way where like kind of can't make out people's faces in some of the scenes. And I had trouble telling people apart uh, characters that we had spent, you know, a long time with, I was tr- having trouble uh, telling them apart as evidenced by the fact that I just got Bob Peck and Robbie Coltrane mixed up probably. Um, and uh, like all of the dialogue in this is just utterly terrible. Uh, like every single line of dialogue is like some quippy nonsense that like is only serves to be annoying. Like here's a sample of it. Like uh, Bill Paxton, especially Bill Paxton's dialogue, but he's like yelling at somebody and he's in uh, like they're, you know, trying to like get in a plane and go somewhere or some shit like that. And um, she's yelling at him. She's like, Oh, you know, we just got to do this mission and, and then we'll be all set. And he's like, yeah, we'll do it. And then we'll be back in time for coffee. And then she says, go to hell. And he says, well, that's our next stop. And it's just, it's just that, that over and over, like that kind of dialogue where it's just like nonstop little quippy nonsense. Um, that is, is horrible to hear. Um, also Bill Paxton's hair is bad. He looks like a, <laughs> like a shitty version of uh Mad Max or something. Um, this whole movie is kind of like a shitty move version of Mad Max. Uh, to be honest, they took the, the crappiest part of the Mad Max movies, which was the guy in the plane. And they're like, well, let's just turn, turn this into a whole fucking movie. Why not? Uh, I like that guy in the plane. I mean, he, he, he's definitely the worst part of the movie, but he's all right. I mean, you're talking about a movie in which virtually nothing is bad. So fair. Well, exactly. That's my, yeah, that's my point. That's, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this is a very bad movie. I don't know. I'm glad I checked it off the list. I've been wanting to see it, if only uh, to be able to goof on Mark Hamill and his hair. But uh, then I got to goof on all of it. So even Bill Paxton, mm-hmm. who's fucking is A plus, is great. He sucks in this movie. So yeah, I don't know. This movie's pretty bad. What do you guys think? Yeah, this was a real uh, exercise in checking one off a list, I guess. Although to be fair, I had never even heard of this movie before this week. Um, once I started kind of looking into what this was before, you know, sitting down to watch it, I felt like, hey, this this might be kind of a you know a forgotten gem. You know, maybe we'll we'll find some some gold here. Um, in fact, I, I saw a write up that said director Steven Lisberger stated that this movie is like a conventional road movie, but instead of cars, people are in airplanes. And reading that, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, that sounds kind of rad. You know, I, I like road movies in general. And if it's going to be post-apocalyptic and have this kind of sci-fi angle to to it and, and with this cast, I was kind of on board, you know. But but sadly, I don't think this movie really captures that vibe of, of a road movie uh, with airplanes. Um, and partially, maybe it's not the movie's fault itself. Um, I did watch this movie last night slash this morning, third in a series of three movies that I started at midnight and not wanting to deal with the commercials on Tubi, 
I opted for a very slightly lower quality version on YouTube. I, I uh, probably didn't make a huge difference, to be honest with you. Um, but this movie is, like we said, filled with all of these quote unquote majestic flying shots uh, that maybe don't play too well in like a fourth generation VHS upload to YouTube. Um, and so that's a bummer. I mean, it, I would maybe, maybe revisit this with good pixels someday, uh, maybe, but honestly, I, I just kind of regret that I didn't do that uh, in the first place. Although I, I can't because this is a movie that is uh, only available in, in this sub uh, really sub DVD pixel quality, even though this does have an official DVD release, I think it's taken from like the VHS master or something. Um, and I'm not even sure that it has a U.S. DVD release, to be honest. I think it might be like an Australian disc or something that this came from, but uh, it looks bad. Um, and much like the movie Outland, uh, that Sean Connery space flick that we did last year, you know, this is that kind of gritty post-alien view of the future. You know, it's it's not that sleek and clean uh, future of like the early 19, 1970s movies like Logan's Run or something which maybe might look good with this level of pixels um, here. You know, everything is so dusty and dirty and, and broken down that I feel like that's just another layer of kind of fog that you can't really see through. So uh, it's a bummer, you know, on this presentation there, there might be some interesting set dressing in this movie. I, I wouldn't know. Uh, it could be that there's a whole, you know, um, incredible array of wallpapers on display here that I, I just completely missed out on. So I had to judge this thing mainly on its story and its acting. And sadly, as you mentioned, Bowman, those are not this movie's strong suits. Um, I think the cast, despite having some names that enticed me, ultimately were kind of a mixed bag. Um, you know, British character actor Bob Peck, you know, seems fairly committed to his role here of, of Byron, but I could sense from Bill Paxton, like this, this, like, uh, in between the lines, just this feeling of like, what am I doing here? And he seemed to be frustrated. Um, and as much as I do like the guy, I'm not sure that he's really truly top billing material for me, but yeah, I mean, as much as I, I do like Bill Paxton, I'm, I'm just not sure that he was top billing material here for me. Um, and poor Mark Hamill, who I think actually probably was invested in this movie, you know, having been waiting around for another theatrical feature to appear in for like six whole years before this. And then this movie gets barely released, not at all in America, I, I don't think. And then, uh, meanwhile, he also has to piss off George Lucas in the process by working, uh, for George Lucas's then nemesis, Gary Kurtz, who, uh, you know, famously had feuded with Lucas and had been kicked out of the uh, the Lucas camp. Um, so that's what, I mean, that sucks for him. And uh, I guess put him on the, on the path to appearing in things like the wing commander three PC game uh, just a few years after the, this, uh, this movie, that's what Mark Hamill's career had kind of turned into. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the real problem with this, this movie is just that the story is, fucking boring. You know, I, 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 I don't know anything about these characters. I don't care to know anything about these characters. This Android character, like there's nothing there to him. Long stretches of this movie just go by where there's like seemingly no threats. And we're not even sure where the characters are like heading to. And so overall, the movie is just kind of frustratingly low energy. Like we're in this post-apocalyptic hellscape 
why should things ever be boring for a minute, you know? Um, and yet at 65 minutes into this movie, we have this like long extended scene in a fucking library of all places where characters are like whispering to each other in the post apocalypse. Like if there's one time that you could shout inside of a library, it would certainly be after the end of the world. But, but no, we're in this very boring post apocalypse where you still whisper in libraries and, and this movie, uh, delivers that for us for some reason. So yeah, overall I didn't like this movie, but I did actually kind of appreciate being forced to watch it just so that I could know that I don't like this movie. Um, and again, you know, similar to Cronenberg, you do have to appreciate the swing. Like despite the fact that this involves Gary Kurtz and other very rich Hollywood film producers, it is a non-studio movie they did kind of strike out on their own to make this. And I think that's impressive for something of this scale. So that's something, you know, good swing, but uh, just didn't, didn't make the connection. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'll never turn down an opportunity to watch a movie with a lead character named Byron. So uh, it was not all bad, I guess. We got to do a Byron theme show too then. Oh yeah, I think so. <laughs> to go along with the Parker yeah. theme show. Well, no, I'm I'm actually glad to hear that because, yeah, I thought I was alone on this. I was like, oh man, like what what did I miss? Like how? Because I, you know, I didn't think this movie was like beloved or anything because I hadn't heard a lot about it. But I, when I got done watching this, I had a a very confused feeling. Like, what did I just watch? Was I supposed to like that? Like, I don't Is this know. Movie I, for anyone. Cause I like Bill Paxton and I want to root for the guy and he's pretty okay in this. I mean, like you said, his dialogue, he doesn't get a lot to work with. It's a lot of snappy comebacks to stupid questions like a mad magazine article. But even in those circumstances, I like a Paxton and, and especially this era of Paxton, you know, late eighties, the dude was on fire and he's great. So I wanted to like that. And, and, and we get much more of Paxton. We do Hamill. I, I don't know why this gets, labeled as a mark hamill movie because he's he drops out for like half the fucking movie yeah despite having a good cast it's it is it's very boring it's i don't know why it shouldn't be it should be adventurous it's you know kidnapping robots and adventures in the air and you know it, it this should be exciting shit but for some reason it just is not and i guess that's why this movie doesn't have much of a reputation these days because yeah, I think if it was any better with a cast like this and the the promise of it, and there's some cool locations and some cool set design and uh, some decent, um, you know, what could potentially be some decent action, but it, yeah, it just feels like it's all squandered. And yeah, I don't know if a good restoration would help this, but it certainly doesn't help it that it does all available copies do look like dog shit. Because like you guys, I first tried to watch it on Tubi, and I'm like even Tubi, this is the best you got. And so like, if I got to watch a shit version, I'm not going to watch it with commercials. And then like you, Sean, I looked for some versions on YouTube and even those were like VHS rips. They were pretty, pretty rough. So, I mean, maybe uh, some pixels could enhance your viewing experience a little bit, but I don't think it could save kind of this dog of a movie. Um, because yeah, I mean, the plot is just, what kind of dog you got, bro, this movie, (laughs) 
Because, yeah, the plot is just so in and out, and it's like you don't really get attached to anybody, and you don't really give a shit about the stuff, and I don't know. It is it is not an entertaining or exciting movie. I think you guys hit it right on the head, and I will agree with you. Yeah. Well, sorry, John from Dayton. Yeah, he I mean, knows it's it. bad, I'm sure. He's got to know. But, or maybe not. Maybe he's the guy who likes this. You know, I don't know. Maybe there's got to be one guy out there that likes this. Maybe it's John. But uh, But that's about enough for the slipstream from us. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be robots that go live on a mountaintop or something. Stick around. Dog and dog! Hey, human scum! This is odorous, gerundus, the squad! And you are listening to Junk Food Dinner. I hope it tastes good. Well, that just about wraps it up for episode number 655 of Junk Food Dinner. We'd like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. Most importantly, we'd like to thank our Junk Food Dinner Patreon, Dom DeLuise donors, for providing the movies for us this week. Uh, specifically, Eamon, John and Dayton, and Portland Paul. Thank you for the films. Much appreciated, and thank you for your patronage. Uh, if you like the show, check out our website, junkfooddinner.com, where all, we have all of our previous episodes easily chronicled for your listening pleasure. If you haven't gone back and listened to some of the older ones, go back and check them out. Uh, we also have our social medias, our Facebook, our Twitters, our Instagram. You can also catch up with us inside the Discord. Just look for Junk for Dinner on Discord. We'll let you in, and you can chat with us about all manner of things. You can also get in touch with the show by giving us a call on the Junk for Dinner voicemail line at 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-5865. Or you can always send us an email at jftpodcast.gmail.com. Uh, speaking of the Patreon, go to patreon.com slash junkfooddinner uh, for at least another month or two. <laughs> You'll have some bonus content up there as well as uh, some perks, so go check that out. Uh, next week is, should be a lot of fun. It is sci-fi February still, but we're going to slip into some sci-fi shorts and take a look at three sci-fi short films, including Z- Xenogenesis from 1978, James Cameron's first small film uh futurama luck of the fryish from 2001 and captain scarlet and the mysterions from 1967 so that should be a lot of fun make sure you tune in for that so until next time this is kevin moss for parker bowman and sean byron saying adios everybody we will see you next time